0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Paul Kangor, the Executive Director, Center for Vision and Values, and Professor of Political Science at Grove City College. Dr. Kangor, it's always uh, a lot of fun to have you on with us.
1: Well, it's always good to be with you, Dan. Thanks.
0: And I I believe you're uh, in transit today and you're on your cell phone, so hopefully the connection will hold up long enough for the interview.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I hope
0: so. Uh, Earlier this month, you wrote an article for The Spectator, and it's dealing with the uh, so-called Marxist-Progressive War on the Boy Scouts. And uh, it's Mm -hmm. more than just so-called. You have uh, some really... Good documentation in this article, and uh, before we start, I just wanted to say quickly that you know when I was a boy growing up, I went through the Cub Scouts. It was led by a couple of ladies at the time, and then went up to the Weblos, and we learned how to tie knots, and that was led by a you know a family man, and it was it was the best. And then when I got to the Boy Scouts, it kind of fizzled out for me because it was led by uh, someone that was. I don't know, they allowed the boys to have profanity, and it just kind of went off the rails, so I got out of it. But generally, in the past, Boy Scouts have, have been a very good thing for the guys to get involved with and learn how to do stuff, and you know, some of them go all the way up to Eagle Scout and learn tremendous skills and that sort of thing. So with that as a backdrop, maybe you can talk with us today about the Boy Scouts and what's going on lately.
1: Well, yeah, Dan. In fact, your path sounds very similar to mine. I did pretty much the same thing. I went up to uh, Webelo and that level, and then and then that was it. But but the, the Boy Scouts of America has always been a, a great organization, or I mean, you know, at least had been. <laughs> I don't I don't know anymore. I mean, they've really compromised in so many of their values and core principles. The things that attracted us. To it was uh, you know their their profession of faith in God and, and country and they made a pledge of purity, honesty, integrity. Yeah, they I mean, they, they were truly a God fearing organization and the the political left went after them on that on the God part of their pledge. That was real, actually the first thing that they went after in modern times anyway. Here I'm talking about the broader left. We'll get to the Marxist left in a minute. Uh And then they went after them on issues like gay scout leaders, whether or not homosexuals could be scout leaders. They went after them on the issue of transgender scouts. And and on each of these, the Boy Scouts slowly caved in. And the, the transgender scout, the idea that a that a girl could become a Boy Scout if the girl declared herself a boy, right? A biological girl. If she identified as a boy, she can now be a Boy Scout. So they compromised on that. These each happened in pretty quick succession around 2015, 2016, 2017, something like that. And then the very latest is that they've compromised and now they're going to be allowing girls into Boy Scouts. Uh, and of course, used to just be that girls went into the Girl Scouts and the boys were Boy Scouts, but yeah, that's that's not good enough for the other side, right? Uh, so and I think with the other side it's not so much about giving something to girls as taking something away from boys. I think that's yeah. that's really the goal. Yeah. And but as yeah, but, but as as I go through in that piece for American Spectator, this is just the culmination of a over a hundred year long battle where um, American communists actually had the Boy Scouts in their sights for, for a long time, one after them for a long time.
0: Now, that's very interesting. You know, some would say, oh, you know, that's, that's old history. That doesn't matter. The communists are long gone and they have no influence. But um, you see things differently, um, you, you've really studied this area.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I think people would be shocked to hear that 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 American communists ever had a campaign against the Boy Scouts, right? <laughs> and, I mean, they'd be like, oh, come on. I mean, that just sounds like you know, kind of crazy, right-wing, goofy, conspiracy-mongering. I mean, come on, a communist campaign <laughs> against the Boy Scouts, right? But, you know, as you see in that piece, Dan, I go through and I give – Five or six different links, hyperlinks, that go directly to PDFs, original documents. They're posted at websites like marxist.org, historical documents, archival documents, all the way back to 1911. And the first one that I give from 1911, these are publications like the Young Communist League, the Young Pioneers, the Young Comrades, the Young Socialists of America. The first one, 1911, summer of 1911... That, that's just one year after the Boy Scouts was started. And and there in that piece and the others, they were going after the Boy Scouts as being um, you know, overly patriotic, overly pro-America, God-fearing. Uh, they were calling them fascists, pro-guns, said that they loved war. And you know, they were being... But One of the articles that I linked to, this young comrade, I a mean, literal young comrade, writing for the young comrades, she claimed that the Boy Scouts are being trained to to shoot not just the workers into of America and not just to march off to war to fight Britain of all things. I don't know how they got Britain and put that <laughs> in there. But 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 to but to shoot their own literal brothers and fathers. Just wild, crazy accusation. Oh yeah. And 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 yeah, and, and if none of that ever worked. You know, most normal people just laughed it off and said, Well, this is communists being communists being crazy. But what has finally worked has been the, the attempt by the broader left to attack the Boy Scouts as homophobic, mm-hmm. as sex as quote unquote anti gay, uh as against scout leaders who are who are you know homosexuals and, and, and it was that sort of cultural attack that, that the Marxists said, ah, you know, here, now this will work. This will work. And, and it, was, it was that. It was the cultural Marxism, the cultural Marxist attack, rather than a classical, economic, class-based, bourgeois capitalism sort of attack on the Boy Scouts. It's the cultural Marxist angle that has worked, yeah. that has uh, kind of borne rotten fruit here, and allowed the, the, the radical left to take down the Boy Scouts and redefine them in their own image.
0: Now, um, we've talked with you before, and it's always very enlightening. Um, you use a phrase here, cultural Marxists, and uh, for maybe someone just tuning in, uh, as well as ourselves, maybe you could refresh us, what is meant by a cultural Marxist?
1: Well, the cultural Marxists, Dan, they they began really in the 1920s, 1930s. There's something called the Frankfurt School out of Frankfurt, Germany, and these guys were literal Freudian Marxists. They 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 combined the ideas of the worst philosopher of the 19th century, Karl Marx, with basically the worst philosopher of the early 20th century, Sigmund Freud, <laughs> and they, uh, they, you know, they really did. They created this Frankfurt School, which, which pioneered a, a form of Marxism that was not class-based, not based on economics and wealth redistribution, but based on sexuality, gender, family, and for them, rather than fighting this battle for the Marxist cause on the factory floor, or in the farmer's field, for them it was going to be the professor's classroom. So it would be education, education, education. And as the late Ralph de Toledano, who was really an expert on these guys, in fact, the final book that he wrote at the end of his life, as he put it, they would, they would submit America to an unrestrained miasma of sex, sex, and sex. Yeah. So for them it would be about sex and culture, and education, and the universities. They would use the conveyor belts of mass media, Hollywood, cinema. So, so for them, they would fight the revolution to really take down America as we understood the traditional Judeo-Christian America. They would seek to do it through cultural mm-hmm. means rather than economic means. And that that's really cultural Marxism.
0: So um Guess we're stating the obvious, maybe for some, but much of the uh, government-run schools has a, has a good deal of influence from cultural Marxism.
1: Yeah, they really do, and, and the way the way that it's really worked its way into education has been, I'd say, from even higher up, the the university system. Yeah, that's where that's where so much of this has been pioneered. And it was it's in the universities and especially the teachers' colleges where they where they sought to train and teach, indoctrinate future teachers who would go out into the K twelve system to to push these ideas. And now, uh, you know, fortunately, the vast majority of people that are in our, our public schools aren't cultural Marxists. They don't even know what that means but but really one of the most insidious things about the whole kind of concept of cultural marxism is a lot of people are engaging in it without even knowing what it is like yes. if you were to walk up to yeah if you if you were to walk up to a typical millennial you know slurping a cappuccino in Starbucks and and say you know by wanting to by, wanting to, by supporting same-sex marriage and transgenderism, you know, you're doing the work of the Frankfurt School and the cultural Marxists. They look <laughs> at you like, like you were out of your mind. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but, that, but, that, but that is, in effect, what they're doing. And, and a lot of times people don't truly realize the radical roots. Of a lot of what they're advocating today, yeah, uh, and, and and I and I should note here a very direct connection, so people don't think that I'm making too much of a leap here. The Frankfurt School in Germany, they the the way that they got out of Germany, they were mostly Jews. They were almost all Jews. In fact, I don't even know one of the professors there who wasn't a Jew. I don't know why that this this, this confuses me, Dan. I don't know why that was the case, but anyway. Because they were almost all Jews, they were there in Hitler's Germany in the 1930s, and they had to escape Germany. They had to escape Hitler's madness, Hitler's tyranny. Sure. So, so these Frankfurt School Marxists needed a new place to go. And who in the world, anywhere in the world, who would accept a bunch of fugitive Freudian Marxism, right? Well, one school did, Columbia University.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, Columbia University rolled out the red carpet. That, that was the college of John Dewey. John Dewey basically was Columbia. And you, John Dewey is the closest thing, probably the number one person in America in, in the history of public education. In fact, John Dewey is honorary president for life of <laughs> the National Education Association. And, and, and Columbia, actually, Columbia Teachers College is where really set the standard and pioneered the whole concept of teachers' colleges in America.
0: Now, uh, this kind of uh, stuff uh, upsets some people, and I, I hope we're not offending anyone today, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's hard to... Well,
1: it's offensive, isn't it? it <laughs> How it, can it, you
0: do it? It's hard to uh, deal with information sometimes with, without offending uh, friends. Um, we're, today we're talking about an article... Uh, On the phone line with us today is Dr. Paul Kangor. He is the Executive Director for Vision and Values and Professor of Political Science at Grove City College. And uh, now and then we bump into one of your students. I remember uh, a while ago interviewing one of them for another topic and got mentioning colleges, and she mentioned Grove City College. Turns out she was one of your pupils, so... Um, hmm. I, I I do know pupils graduate and they they enjoy your classes from what from what I'm learning. Um,
1: well, they're, they're they're easily deceived. Yeah. <laughs> they're easily see deceived. Uh, let's um,
0: <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about communism. Um, it seems like there's an uptick of interest uh, among millennials um, in in terms of wanting to embrace some of the tenets of communism slash socialism, and uh, any comments about that?
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that, too, has to do with the universities. I mean, they are, and and I've seen this for years. I, I graduated as an undergrad in 1990, and then I went into graduate school two years after that, master's program, took a couple years off, then went into a Ph.D. program, and all through the 1990s, Dan, I could see this. And I've seen it further, even worse after that. They, they, the universities, being you know, 80 90% of the faculty identifying as liberal or progressive, they are failing to teach the lessons of communism and socialism. They, they don't teach the horrors of it. They, you know, they, they don't. And forget about the, the, the horrors aside, the 100 million dead killed by communist governments, they don't. They don't even. They don't even give critiques of it. They don't even criticize the softer side of communism and why, aside from the the deadliest the the, the deadly ideology that it unleashed, it, you know, they don't even teach how it's just economically mistaken, how it has its understanding of property and human nature wrong, and so because of that more and more millennials are saying positive things about communism socialism i could i could just start rattling off survey data for you off the top of my head gallup pew reason foundation and roop reason roop they do a study together every year and it's now the latest numbers about 44% of millennials say they prefer socialism versus about 42% that say that they prefer capitalism
0: that's shocking so it's
1: actually yeah it's a higher number now and a huge number in the Gallup survey, and I think it was 2015. And I give that that year for this reason. Uh, they they said that they would that they would vote for a socialist for president if they had a chance to. Well, the very next year in 2016, a lifetime self-avowed socialist named Bernie Sanders yeah. got 13 million votes in the Democratic primary. And give people an idea of how, how many votes that is. Donald Trump got fourteen million in the Republican, and that was a record for Republicans. Wow. So so you yeah, they, they said that they would vote for a socialist and, and they are. Uh, about one in four Americans generally, in fact the number's twenty eight percent, believe that George W. Bush killed more people than Joseph Stalin. Oh my. Yes. <laughs> and that, that's, that's a survey done by the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, which, which specializes in this kind of information. And that's, that's 28% of Americans generally. About a third of millennials think that George W. Bush killed more people than Joseph Stalin. Oh, now, dear. Stalin, yeah, according to Alexander Yakovlev, who was Gorbachev's lead reformer and the person put in charge of trying to figure out how many people were killed under communist government. He said that Stalin, quote, Stalin alone annihilated 60 to 70 million people. Mm. So George W. Bush, I don't know how many people George W. Bush annihilated. I don't even know if it's one. Mm. (laughs) And and if you want to try to say, "Well, well, we'll consider Bush responsible for a certain number of war deaths in Iraq and so forth, Okay, go for it, all right? We can have that argument yeah. separately, but you do that, you're not going to get anywhere near a million, let alone 60 to 70 million,
0: no, all right? No.
1: About 3,000 guys who died in the, in the Iraq War. So, but it's this kind of colossal ignorance that comes from and Why would a millennial think that? Well, if you spent the years 2000 and 2008, 2008 in your university just hearing that George W. Bush is bad that he's this evil bad guy and the only thing you've learned about the Cold War was that the evil Joe in the Cold War was Joe McCarthy, not Joe Stalin. Yes. Then then you know, none of this is a surprise. So this is what we've been teaching in our universities and now we're reaping what we've sown.
0: Yes, yes. Well, I um I just pray that the Lord will uh, have mercy upon us, let me tell you. Uh, but part yep. part of that is his using uh, proximate means, and that is uh, correcting educational fictions where needed. And uh, today we're talking with Dr. Paul G. Kengor of Grove City College. And um, Dr. Kengor, one of your areas of expertise is that Cold War. And um what are some of the highlights of the Cold War as you look back at it?
1: Well, I'd say the most important thing to remember is that is that this was pushed by by the deadliest ideology in human history. In fact, Dan, when I when I teach the Cold War, one of one of the tough things you do, you know, you're, the very first thing you do when you teach a topic like World War II, right, is you put up the dates up on the board. So, it'd be like, well, started September first, nineteen thirty nine, when the Nazis invaded Poland Ended, uh, you know, maybe 1945, you know, maybe in May of 45 with uh, with the Nazis surrender, maybe in September with the Japanese surrender with the Cold War. It's hard to even come up with parameters. A lot of people will say if you, in fact, if you go to Wikipedia, I think it might even say 1947, it began something like that ended in 1989 with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Or ended in 1991 with the collapse of the Soviet Union, but but I would say that really the Cold War began in 1917 when when the Bolsheviks took over Russia, mm-hmm. and and you could you could even argue if you want to take it a little bit later and be kind of nitpicky about it, but I think this makes sense. You could start it in March 1919 when when the Soviets launched the Comintern, the Communist International, which thought the goal of a worldwide communist revolution. Yeah. And, and when they had that goal to take the ideology, never just contain it within Russia, but to spread it around the world, as Marx said, our victory will only be a victory when we've conquered the whole world. It, yeah. Workers of the world unite. We have a world to win. Those are the final words of the communist manifesto. And in that sense, you might even start it in 1848 when the communist manifesto was published. So, but it was it unleashed the deadliest ideology in history, with at least at least 100 million people killed by communist governments from 1917 through the end of the 20th century, and and really those those numbers are still continuing today. Who knows what could happen in North Korea? Um, There's still death and destruction going on in China and Cuba, but but it's been at least 100 million. And that's double the combined death tolls of World War One and World War Two, the deadliest wars in history. So I, I want people to really understand that, above all, the Cold War. This was America. That was America battling a genuine evil that we faced from the Soviet Union.
0: Yeah. Well put. Yeah. Uh, we've got maybe uh, two or three minutes remaining. Um, if there's a, a student out there today who. Um, is really interested in, in pursuing studies like this, Dr. Kangor, and maybe correcting some of the uh, intentional misinformation that's been shoved down his throat. Um, how could he, uh, where, where should he go to read and maybe go to school and that sort of thing?
1: Oh, well, thanks. That's a perfect plug for my college. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grove City College is in Western PA, that's where I, teach. I actually teach a course on Marxism plus do a number of courses on, uh, on the history of the period, the you know, French Revolution to the end of the Cold War. But there, and I, I've got to warn young people and their parents, there's not a lot of safe places that you can, that you, where you can go to college anymore. Uh, I, I would look online for some of the, the list of recommended conservative Christian colleges. And it, it really has to be a conservative Christian college because a lot of the Christian colleges Um, are—and I don't mean this as a judgmental statement, casting judgment on them—but they've just sort of lost their Christian identity, and they've hired a lot of people who no longer care about that identity, and aren't even required to sign a faith statement. So Grove City College is is a safe place to consider.
0: Well, that sounds great. And um, uh, how about reading? If a fellow wants to read up on— Cultural Marxism, its dangers, and, uh, and then um, the, the cure for it. <laughs> What's out yeah. there to read?
1: Well, and I would say, to quote the cultural Marxists themselves, right? Education, education, education. So we, we've got to fight back by educating people properly where they've miseducated them. And for a lot of that, you're probably going to have to do a lot of your own self-education. But the a really good short book on the history of communism, and also communism as a theory and a program is Richard Pipes. He just died. He was he died. He was ninety four years old. Dan, and longtime professor of of Soviet history at Harvard of all places. But he uh, great book, Communism: A History by Richard Pipes. That's a good one. And also, I did a book recently called The Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism, which was published by Regnery, and that came out last year. I would recommend that to young people as well. We, we wrote that in a very kind of fun, reader-friendly format. Oh,
0: well, that's really neat. Yeah, we'll post that on our website. Thanks. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Kangor, for joining us today and I know you're in transit, talking on your cell phone, and fortunately the connection held up. And, uh, Good. When, <laughs> when does the new semester start there at uh, Grove City?
1: Oh, we got a few weeks. So it'll probably be the last week in August. I don't yeah. know what the exact date is, but... So yeah. uh, until then, I shall I shall read and write more on communism. <laughs> so they <laughs> make myself uh, more more informed as well. So yeah. uh, hopefully, I'll have a vague idea of what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, in education, we never arrive. We have to keep studying, 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 right. and then applying. you not not just filling our head with knowledge, but then actually going out to work and uh, you know uh, serving the Lord in holy occupations uh, that that glorify Him.
1: That's right. Vocation, vocation,
0: vocation.
1: Not (laughs) vacation, vocation.
0: That's right. (laughs) Okay, Dr. Kangor, thank you for joining us today.
1: Uh, Sure, Dan, anytime. God bless.
0: You too. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.